0: We find ourselves in Acts chapter 15, but we are going to wander here and there a little bit. Oh my. Now instead of reading the whole thing, we'll, uh, we'll do it in sections. How's that sound? Uh, we're going to read the first five verses, um, and uh, then we'll pray. And are we going there, Dale? Hey, we're going. So welcome those of you that are joining us from Facebook Live. Uh, Acts fifteen verses one to five some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. but after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, the church arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others to go to uh, go uh, some others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Concerning this controversy. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both uh, Phoenicia and Samaria, explaining in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they created great joy among all the brothers. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Let's, let's pray together. Fathers, we come this evening. We thank you again for your love, for your care, for the fact that you are not only leading us on a day-to-day, but when, when we blow it, when we don't follow so well, you are inviting us to come home. Uh, we are not without error or sin, so open our eyes and give us grace to see so, so that we might understand truth, and walk in a way that's honoring and pleasing to you. Enlighten our eyes to the things that you have for us this evening, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, this is a Disagreement in Doctrine, Acts 15. Uh, so, in verses 1 to 5, we see the error introduced and confronted. Uh, I, I like Acts 15 for a couple of reasons. Um, within this passage, you're going to see at least two times that Arguing is not necessarily a sinful activity. You can be very passionate about things that... Now, you may be very wrong, okay? uh, But the purpose of the discussion of the argument is to try and find some good conclusions. Uh, But within this, you're going to see that uh, Paul was pretty passionate uh, about truth and uh, so there was a heated dispute, as it says. So, first of all, the mindset of error in verse 1. Where did it come from? Well, it says certain men came down from Judea. So who lives in Judea? Uh, Judeans, Okay. <laughs> Uh, Let's uh, refine that a little bit and call them Jewish people. How's that sound? Okay, now you'll notice I have here two Antioch because Acts 15 doesn't tell you where, but if you had to look at the previous context, which is only like three or four verses, you find out that Paul and those guys are in Antioch, uh, and they taught the brethren. So here they are teaching believers. Now, if they're in Antioch, Of what uh, ethnic group do you think these uh, brethren are going to be? Maybe Gentiles. In fact, there's probably a real good chance that they're going to be Gentiles. There may be some Jewish believers among them, but if there are Jewish believers among them, these Jews haven't been an issue, and therefore these guys are from Judea. They teach the brethren, unless you are circumcised, uh, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, so let's uh, put a piece of paper there in Acts 15, and let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. And take a look at what's going on here. You might remember in uh, Acts chapter 12... God calls Abram, and he basically tells him, go to a land that I'm going to show you, leave mom and dad and and all that, and and go. And Abram takes dad, apparently, and Lot, and uh, they go up to Haran and wait until dad dies, because apparently he was sick. And so he brings Lot into the land, and God appears to him and lets him know, okay, you're here. Don't keep on going south. You'll be in Africa. Okay? Uh, But. Nothing else is said at that point. And then there's a famine in the land, and they go down into Egypt, and God financially takes care of business for them. Uh, now, he did so through Abraham lying <laughs> and uh, causing a problem between him and Pharaoh, and then ultimately when they finally do come back, they are doing well. And God finally gets Abraham to do what he told him in the beginning— Get away from your family. By They're so blessed they can't even have the, all of their sheep in the same field. So he tells Lot, hey, you pick the field. You go that way. I'll go this way, that kind of thing. Sure enough. And then all of a sudden God appears to him again and lets him know, I want you to look to the north, look to the east, to the west, to the south. Wherever your foot touches, I'm giving you this land. By the way, in chapters 1 through 11, whenever it talks about God, it uses the Hebrew word Elohim. Okay, chapter 12, when God starts talking about the land, all of a sudden, Yahweh. Hmm, interesting, huh? His, his name that we recognize him by, I am that I am, the self-sufficient one, directly related to the covenant that he's making with Abraham with the land, Okay. Um, in chapter 15, he's had to save Lot's uh, backside from the five kings and and a bunch of other sodomites and brings them back and uh, you, you got the Melchizedek thing and he's worried and God says, hey, don't worry, I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. All you need is me. And he goes, yeah, but I don't got a son. If if I were to die right now, one of my servants. Would get everything that I own. No, I already told you you're going to be the father of other nations. Okay, da da da. So he 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 gives him the Abrahamic covenant in uh, uh, Genesis 15. Abraham believes it's credited to him for righteousness. Bing bang bong. Then you got uh, 16, and here we are in 17. And uh, let me see here. i got to get there, huh? (laughs) Uh, My my Bible, uh, the heading of chapter 17 is uh, Covenant Circumcision. Okay, let's uh, follow along as I read. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. How hard is it to uh, live in God's presence? I mean, where where can you go where you're you're somehow hidden from him? Uh, The concept here is not... Try and, try and live like you should in front of me, it's, well, that, that's actually the concept. Uh, it's not like he has to go anywhere. It's, remember, I'm with you. Live accordingly, okay? Um, live in my presence and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between you, between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Something that's already been said. And back there in chapter 15, when Abraham cut up the animals and kept the birds off of them, who walked between the two lines of animals? The pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. Only God did. Abraham didn't have to do anything. And he's saying, I'm going to keep that covenant with you. Then Abram fell uh, face down and God spoke with him. As for me, my covenant is with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will be uh, no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations, which is basically what Abraham means. I will make you uh, extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will keep my covenant between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. So how long is that going to be? Uh, and, and again, when you think about uh, what people think about end times, to throw the millennial kingdom out and throw Israel out and replace Israel with the church, kind of like, uh, wow, this covenant is directly related to the land. Okay, and therefore, how many of us are moving to Israel? <laughs> We're not, right? Because that's not for us, that's for them. He goes on to say um, throughout a uh, forever covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you and to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing all of the land of Canaan as an eternal possession and I will be their God. Notice that the, again, the words, words mean things, eternal possession. How long? Yeah, I mean, there's no getting out of this. Now, yes, God ultimately, in disciplining them, kicked them out of the land for close to 2,000 years, okay? Uh, But now he's fulfilling what he said was going to happen. He's made them alive again as a nation in in the sense of they're a nation now. They're not spiritually alive yet, but uh, people are coming back just like he said they would, Okay, eternal possession, I will be their God. Part of the new covenant, by the way. Uh, God also said to Abraham, As for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you at eight days old is to be circumcised. This includes the slave born in your house and one purchased with money from any foreigner. The one who is not your offspring, a slave born in your house, as well as one purchased with money, must be circumcised. My covenant uh, will be marked in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay, so Uh, Circumcision is a sign that they are part of the Abrahamic covenant. They're uh, descendants of Abraham. They're going to get the land. Okay? So when we come to this, uh, this particular passage, we see Jewish people coming into a Gentile city. Here a bunch of people have gotten saved. They taught the brethren. Now you've got to get circumcised. Now, the reason why I cover all of that is because where do these guys get the idea that anyone who's going to get saved got to be circumcised? They're trying to take the law given to them or the sign of the covenant given to them and put it on people that it wasn't given to. Okay? Uh, and again, they uh, say from the law of Moses, Leviticus 12.3, uh, Moses repeats the... Uh, command on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. It's talking about any male child born in the house. So uh, notice this mindset of a legalistic duty promoting self-effort and hypocrisy. How do I know that? Well, Galatians, Paul talks a lot about circumcision in the book of Galatians as well as other places. But uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Galatians tonight. Galatians two, eleven to 14 says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, now where was James? We're going to find out later in this chapter that James was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So when certain men came from James, what ethnic background do you think these people might have had? They were Jewish, okay? When these certain men came from James, he would, uh, uh, before these certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before all of them, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? You know, here you are, you're living like a Gentile among the Gentiles, You're eating their food and enjoying their company. Some Jewish people come up, and all of a sudden, now you're going to act like a Jew. Kind of like, what are you doing about that? That kind of thing. Uh, So you can see, this is a public sin. It was publicly rebuked. Okay? Um, I I remember one time when we were on deputation. I was preaching, and my kids were acting up in the back row. At which point, I, right there in front of everybody... Daniel Osden or Joseph or Jonathan, whoever it was, uh, that will be enough of that. Public rebuke. Why? Public sin. Now, I'm sure someone didn't like it. They were offended on my kid's behalf. Oh, well. Sorry. Can't help you. Okay? So uh, that's the problem here. You've got a legalistic duty mindset uh, which promotes self-effort. This is something you got to do. I don't know about you, but there are churches today that believe that you must be baptized. Now, I'll be honest with you. I think you should be baptized. If you've never been baptized, I believe you should be baptized. Why? Because Jesus said so. Okay? Uh, Are you going to get into heaven if you're not baptized? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, you're also going to talk to God about not doing what he told you to do. You know, I mean, sorry for you on that one. Uh, But the reality is, is baptism is a public proclamation, a public testimony of, I died with Christ, I was buried with Christ, I was raised again with Christ, hold me to it. Okay? Uh, And it's also a lesson for them to understand, before I was living like this, but now I've died with Christ, and I've been raised again to walk in newness of life. Oh, that means something should change in my life. And maybe one of the reasons why so many people are willing to continue to live in sin is because they didn't get the memo. You know, I don't know. But uh, there are churches that believe that you must be baptized in order to be saved. Somehow that water washes sin away. Kind of like self-effort. Okay, please do not, as as important as baptism may be, do not buy into anything that you do has something to do with you getting saved. Okay? And that would include your own self-will, your freedom, a free will to choose Jesus. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't be choosing him. How do I know? Look at all the people that don't choose him. Jesus is still there. He still died. He still rose again, but they don't. In fact, talk to some of these people, and believe me when I tell you, they are headlong going to hell, and some of them think that's just wonderful. Every now and again, I'll, I'll get someone, I'll ask him, if you were to die today, what would happen to you? I remember one guy saying, I'd go straight to hell. It's kind of like, doesn't that bother you a little bit? No. I'm gonna go there and have a party with all my friends. I remember saying that one time. You ever say that? we were stupid? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hot beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but uh, the reality is, is if it's not for the work of Christ to open your eyes and help you to see the truth, the, the truth of your need, the truth of God's provision for your need. I don't know about you, but I drove around on a motorcycle in Connecticut where they drive like, well, like St. Louis um, uh, for a whole week praying, God, please don't let me die until I get back to church. Because I thought I had to go to church and, and get saved. Uh, I was afraid if I were to die right then, I'd go straight to hell. Now, how did I come to that conclusion? God opened my eyes. Okay? Now, once my eyes were open, did I make a decision of my free will? Sure. But can I tell you, there was only one decision to make. Yes, I need him. Okay. So uh, anything that gets added uh, where it's somehow uh, you get to do something, please don't go there. Now, number two, why, was, why it was wrong. Uh, well, uh, let's consider what Paul is remembering in the book of Galatians. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, Galatians 1.12 says, For I neither received it, the gospel, from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, our understanding is, Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. Uh, He's sent into Damascus where um, Ananias gets to come over and pray over him, and scales fall from his eyes. And then he gets to live there and go out into the desert for about three years and go to the Desert Bible Institute uh, of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is revealing to him, helping him take all that he had learned from uh, whichever rabbi about the Old Testament and help him to see what God really says about that whole thing, okay? And uh, so he's received his gospel from Jesus Christ, not from anybody else. Uh, In chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Again, this is that whole, I was getting my information from Jesus, not from anybody else. And then... Uh, uh, Chapter 2, verse 2, I went up by revelation and uh, communicated to them that gospel, he's talking about going to Jerusalem finally after about three years, which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation. Now, who might they have been in Jerusalem, those of reputation? Nope. Nope the disciples of Christ, or the apostles, if you will, okay, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So he is finally checking in with the apostles, want to make sure he's got the right gospel. Because, look, one of the things I think Pastor and I would both admit to you is the more we learn about God, the more we realize we really just don't know. Now, that's not leaving us in a position where we don't know. That's leaving us in a position where we're available to learn, okay? Because when we went to Bible college, believe me when I tell you, we solved most of the world's problems, spiritual, financial, and otherwise, in our discussions uh, around the table. We knew everything that there was needing to be known, And as we got into ministry, we were willing to tell everybody all these wonderful things that we knew. And then God put us in a position, we were at the end of all of the stuff that we knew and realized, "Uh, I'm not sure I agree with what I learned in Bible college all the time. Or maybe we're going to look at it just a little bit differently and realize, oh, like I say, the more you get to know the more you realize, wow, there's a lot about God that I haven't nailed down yet. Now, what I think I've nailed down, I think I've nailed down. But if for some reason someone were to come to me and say, well, what about, guess what? I'm probably going to be listening because I don't have the corner on the market yet. Now, if it's something as simple as the gospel, okay, got that one nailed down, okay? Why? Because God said so. Uh, But there's a lot of things. I mean, even in our doctrinal statement, we have things most dearly held. And that's where we talk about the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Why? Because there's four or five other views out there. And the Bible isn't so clear that this is the only one view that's possible. We can see where other people get their views. We still think they're wrong, and we know why, but, (laughs) well, it's true. (laughs) Uh, But it's a a dearly held. We have someone here in our church that does not believe in a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. For the most part, they believe that we're supposed to be about the business of making this world better and better and better, and then Jesus is going to come back. And he loves this church because we haven't forced one of those non-essential things down his throat, but he loves the teaching. Okay, so whole point being is some things, they're non-essential. So, you know, someone might have a different view. So so remembering where Paul received the gospel, he checks in with the apostles finally. Verses 6 and 7, but from those who seem to be something the ones that were of reputation, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. So remembering where Paul received his gospel, he got it from Jesus Christ. He didn't get it from the other apostles. Once he did check with the apostles, and yeah, they were all on the same page, and uh, they understood his call to preach that gospel to the Gentiles. And then uh, letter B, remembering what Paul wrote about the preaching of a different gospel in Galatians 1, 6-9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, the idea is not another of the same kind, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. The idea here is no chance of salvation. Let him be accursed. No chance of salvation for this person. Whoa! As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. If you're going to add something to the finished work of Jesus Christ and his person, you're in danger. Okay? So with that in mind considering what these legalistic uh, hypo- hi- hi- hypocrites did in the previous verse. Wow, uh, th- they're in danger. Now, uh, we do think that they were probably saved, just misinformed, okay? Letter C, remembering what Paul said about circumcision. Uh, Galatians 5, two. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you, ha- if you become circumcised, speaking to Gentiles, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, now that is exactly the opposite of what these guys said in verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. What Paul is saying is if you get circumcised thinking that somehow that's going to help your salvation, Christ doesn't give you any value. There's no value in what he's offering you because you're not taking what he's offering. You're adding to it. Wow. Wow. Uh, How about uh, Colossians 2, 10 and 11? And you are, listen to this, complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. Now, catch this phrase here. In Him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Paul's directly saying Christ took care of the circumcision. It's a spiritual circumcision. There's no need of a physical one. The physical one was a sign of the covenant between God and the descendants of Abraham. We're saved. God took care of all of that in a spiritual sense. Okay, Uh, Colossians 2, 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food, I had bacon tonight, or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So even circumcision, it's a shadow. The substance, when you get saved, God separates you from that old man and uh, puts off the body of death. You don't have to worry about it anymore. So uh, you got to remember all those things as you consider this legalistic mindset that promoted self-effort and hypocrisy. Uh, And then letter D, remembering what Paul said about the keeping of the law in relation to salvation. Uh, Now you'll notice in Galatians 2.16, Paul says the same thing three times, one verse. Listen to what it says. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ. One. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Two. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Three. Three times in one verse. Adding circumcision to faith doesn't work, it is faith and faith alone. How about uh, Galatians 2.21? I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Again, you add any self-effort, any work to faith, then Christ died in vain. It, it doesn't serve a purpose if somehow you can do it. One of the things that I struggle with when it comes to the Catholic Church, and, and look, if you got Catholic family members you need to understand what Catholic doctrine teaches, okay? And and the reason is because we're not talking about your Catholic family members, whether or not they're saved, whether or not they're going to heaven. Uh, That's between them and God and and you and them, okay? Uh, What we're saying is Catholic doctrine teaches Christ died for Adam's sin, not for yours. That's why you have to do things to take care of your sin. You've got to pay for the mass. You've got to do uh, penance of one sort or another. You get to go to purgatory and burn for a little while to pay for your sins. And when they're paid for, you get to go to heaven. That is heresy, okay? And anything added to uh, faith in Christ and His work, then why did Christ die? And, and they try and answer that question. He died for Adam's sin. That's why you need Mary, because, see, he's a God and holy. You can't talk to him just like you can't talk to God. That's why you got to have a priest. You pray to Mary to butter Jesus up so Jesus will talk to the Father on your behalf. And it's kind of like, oh, man, just totally messed up. And, and here's the thing. Again, if you have Catholic family members, please don't get upset with me. Okay, any Catholic who has gotten saved and gotten out of the Catholic Church, they're sitting there saying, "Please keep on talking." Okay, and then I get Christian people are saying, "Oh, you're being so offensive. Stop it." Okay, just stop it. I'm speaking truth about Catholic doctrine, not Catholic people. Are there Catholic people that are going to heaven? Probably, yeah. Okay, but if they're believing Catholic doctrine. If they are saved, they're going to be spiritually stunted, okay? So uh, that's what 2.21 says. How about 3.10 and 11? For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. It's not get saved by faith and then live by the law. It's not do something in the law in order to get saved. The just shall live by faith. Verses 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through Him. Now, Uh, I've spent a lot of time talking about the new covenant and said, look, this new covenant is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Pastor, uh, even last week, talked about how we are participants of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. Well, there it is right there. Okay, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Okay, but again, notice has nothing to do with us doing anything about the law because Christ already took care of that. Now, that's a lot of stuff in verse 1. So let's see if we can get through the rest of the chapter. <laughs> How to deal with error. Well, first of all, notice in 2A, error is going to bring conflict. Uh, 2A says, but after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate. Okay? Okay. Uh, I remember we went to an IFCA uh, conference uh, one week, uh, Pastor and Char, Lynn and I, and the first night we get there, uh, dinner's on, and so we find a table, we sit down, and we start talking. And I'm talking to the guy next to me, and before long, everyone at the table is quiet. And I'm realizing everyone's quiet. And they thought I was yelling at the guy. I wasn't yelling at the guy. We were in a passionate discussion, and we weren't even disagreeing. We were just passionate, okay? Uh, when you're passionate, sometimes the blood pressure goes up a little bit. The volume goes up a little bit, especially if you come from my family. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like, hey, we're not fighting, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> We we had a good discussion. The next day, he came back and said, "You know, I was looking at the Greek, and you know, we we continued that discussion." But uh, whole point being is, uh, there's nothing wrong with being passionate about things. Yeah, you do need to uh, maybe uh, watch how the volume goes and stuff like that. But error error will bring conflict. And if you know the truth, I hope you're passionate and you can get into a good heated discussion. Now. It shouldn't be the way we're seeing in our society today where, you know, I hope you die. I hope you get COVID, and, and I hope you need a heart transplant, and they won't give it to you because you didn't get the vaccine. I mean, wow, a bunch of mean people out there today, you know? Uh, but the reality is, is error brings conflict. Notice number two, though, the church seeking wisdom from Jerusalem, uh, verses 2b through 4 there, uh, so uh, the church uh, arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others of them to go to the apostles, the elders in Jerusalem, concerning this controversy. And they sent them on their way. They And as they were going, they're encouraging other churches, letting them know what God is doing among the Gentiles. And then when they get to the church in verse 4, they give a missions report to the home church. Because let's face it, Jerusalem is the home church. Okay, it's the beginning of everything. So they they uh that brings us to uh number 2 here the council of many. You know, in the council of many there is wisdom. Uh very often when we're in our heated discussions between us and another person, you have this guy's wisdom and that guy's wisdom and uh very often If you look at how they handle the problem, we see in James chapter 4 that that kind of wisdom is demonic. It's uh, not from above, but from below, even if you're a believer, uh, if you're going to argue in the flesh, then that's ultimately the problem. So, the counsel of many, letter A, the presentation of the arguments in verses 5 through 12. Now, you're welcome to read the uh, passage, but notice number one, now, for the reason that we are here in verse 5, uh, again, the, 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 um, the Pharisees, the, the believers that were from the Pharisees, they're the ones that, uh, as soon as we get there, we're going to prove our point. We're going to, isn't this true? Kind of like, okay, Uh, notice some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up. Now, uh, just because the Scripture says they believed doesn't necessarily mean that they were believers. Why do I say that? Remember Simon the sorcerer. He believed just like everybody else did, and yet what did Peter say? You are bound up in bitterness. So it's not just a matter of acknowledging truth and uh, saying, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Um, It's a matter of it comes into the heart. It changes the person. I'm going to assume that these guys, being Pharisees, they're already very legalistic in their mindset. I'm not saying they're not saved, okay? Why? I've been in too many legalistic churches, okay? And many believers, but not informed well enough to get past this whole idea that I've got to somehow do something, okay? So I, I, at the moment, we'll say that these guys believed, they rose up, and then they, of course, say what we've already dealt with. It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Number two, now the apostles and the elders came to her, together to consider this matter. Well, that's good. And when there had been much dispute... Isn't that interesting? The apostles and the elders of the church came together and there was a dispute. Why? Because we had not as a group come to a conclusion on this topic yet. We're all Jewish. We can see these believers that are from the sect of the Pharisees. We can see their point. But we're dealing with Gentiles And Gentiles have not been a part of all of that. So now we have to come to a biblical solution, figure that out, okay? So, uh, yeah, there's even dispute among them. And then uh, Peter's argument in 7b through 12. Uh, first of all, he, he makes reference back to when he had the opportunity to visit uh, Cornelius and his family. He went into a Gentile home. Uh, he found out that uh, God had told... Uh, um, Cornelius to send for Peter. Uh, God had worked in Peter's life. What I've called clean, don't you call unclean. The little uh, sheet coming up and down out of heaven with all these animals in it and stuff like that. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Oh no, I've never eaten anything unclean. Hey, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. Preparing him to, hey, I want you to go to a Gentile's house. Oh. So he goes there, and he starts preaching, and what happened? The Spirit of God comes upon these Gentiles. Before you know it, they're speaking in tongues. Okay, verification. These guys are saved. Okay, so he's making reference back to that. You know, God called me to be the apostle to the Gentiles, that kind of thing. So uh, God's initial work with the Gentiles through me, Acts chapter 10 and 11. In chapter 11, he actually comes back to the Jewish folk, and he has to give a, a reason for why he did what he did. And he kind of shows them, hey, God has granted to the Gentiles repentance. And they go, oh, okay, okay. You know, like, we're not going to argue with God about this, and apparently, you know, everything works out. So, uh, letter B, God's proof that he was saving Gentiles. Well, in verse 8, he gave them the Holy Spirit. How did Peter know that God had given the Holy Spirit to Gentiles? They spoke in tongues. Uh, The the Spirit came upon them just like it did us when we first believed, he said. Well, he's making reference to Acts chapter 2 when they spoke in tongues. And then notice, uh, because of that, God has made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith and circumcision. No, no, just by faith. That's all. That's what Peter says. So, he goes on to say, let's not repeat that which we couldn't even follow. Peter's acknowledging the law wasn't for the purpose of following it. It was for the purpose of uh, the knowledge of sin, letting you know that you couldn't do it so that you would cry out to God. So here we as Jewish people have been trying to keep this law all this time, and we weren't able to do it. So why would we want to put that on the Gentiles? Okay? And then uh, letter D, uh, he repeats, uh, salvation is truth for all in verse 11. Verse 11. And then uh, he uh, gives an update of God's work among the Gentiles, uh, or there is an update of of God's work among the Gentiles in verse 12. Let me just read verses 11 and 12 for you here. Uh, Verse 11, on the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way they are. So that's Uh, Paul, uh, Peter's conclusion. And then in verse 12, then the whole assembly fell silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So obviously God is doing this work. We hear from Peter and we hear from uh, Paul and Barnabas. So that brings us to the leader's argument in verses 13 through 21. Now, the apostles and the elders, they've been able to listen to this, and James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, speaks up. So, first of all, he reiterates uh, Peter's first major point in verses 13 and 14. He demonstrates that the Word of God supports that point, that God was going to be saving Gentiles, and uh, uh, it's it's found in the Old Testament, Notice he starts out with, just as it is written. Brothers and sisters, make sure you're spending time in the Word of God. You're reading it. If the Spirit of God puts his finger on a particular verse, maybe you need to write it down and memorize it. Uh, It's interesting. Uh, One of our brothers here at the church, uh, occasionally I'll use his vehicle and he's got all of his doctor's appointments uh, lining the Uh, the little crack between the front part of the dash and the back part of the dash, uh, and he'll have a Bible verse. And not normally one verse, normally it's a few verses. And while he's driving down the road, he's remembering, he's meditating on. And I've seen that card change a few times, so I know, okay, got that one, now we're working on another one. Now this person is not interested in, um, (coughs) excuse me, being a pastor or anything like that. He just knows that this is part of the Christian life, okay? So don't be afraid. You know, I mean, we want to bring all our kids to wanna make sure they memorize God's Word, and then we become adults, and yeah, I don't need that. Don't go there, okay? Um, because when you're talking to other people, just as it is written, God's Word says, who cares what I say? I'm pretty smart and good looking, but Who cares? Okay? It is what God says that's important. Okay? And so that's what James does here. And then notice uh, he starts out just as it is written. And then he quotes basically... Uh, Amos 9, 11, and 12. Let me read it for you while you're looking at verses 15 through 17. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does this thing. Now, Amos is one of those uh, minor prophets, not because his message is minor, but uh, he's only got nine chapters. That's kind of like right at the middle of the end, okay? But uh, here James is quoting one of the lesser-known prophets. You know, it's easy to... Talk about Isaiah six and Isaiah fifty three or or seven fourteen or nine. Say you know all those really big verses that everybody knows, especially at Christmas time or Easter time. But Amos, you know, yeah, James knows Amos. Okay, uh, it's it's nice to be aware of what God's word says. So that brings us to number three: James' demonstration uh, of that by the character of God. In verse 18, notice what he says. He says, known from long ago. Okay, now, what's known? Well, it declares the Lord who does these things. What declares the Lord? Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name declares the Lord known from long ago. God knows us from before the foundations of the world. Peter says he foreknows us. Okay? Uh, Paul says that he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. So, uh, this this is the character of God uh, that he brings forth as part of his argument as to why the Gentiles, yes, them being part of the church, is. God's uh, plan. So that brings us to uh, James's conclusion. Uh, First in verse 19, he says, let's not trouble them. Let's not add something uh, to salvation by faith because, well, there's no reason to, okay? But then in verses 20 through 21, let's ask them to abstain from things that cause trouble for their Jewish brethren. Now, there's a couple of things I see here. First of all, uh because the jewish people are getting saved it doesn't mean that they still don't have a responsibility to the things that god said to the jewish nation in the old testament for example the sabbath okay that is the uh, is it the fifth um commandment i believe out of the 10 okay fourth Fourth. Oh yeah, there's six towards people and four towards God. Uh, So it's the fourth one. And uh, the Sabbath, if you go back and do a little bit of research, that is an everlasting covenant, like circumcision, between God and Israel. When we get into the New Testament, that's the one commandment out of the ten that's not repeated, though it was discussed a lot. Okay? Because the Jewish people... Kind of got hung up on that whole thing. Jesus is healing people on the Sabbath. (gasps) You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, But we do learn in the book of Hebrews that there is a rest for the people of God. And a lot of people, some of our songs, you know, when we get over the river Jordan, we're going to be in heaven. And uh, the writer of Hebrews, his whole point was getting over the Jordan into the land of Israel. That's a land where you cease from your own labors. And you're going up against the enemies of God. You're not going up against the enemies of God in heaven. As a believer, it's no longer you who do things. It is Christ doing it in and through you. That's the only labor that has any value. So the Sabbath rest is as we walk with God. Now, does that mean we, don't, we shouldn't take a day off once in a while? Oh, no. The Sabbath was for mankind. You know, you, you kind of need that physical rest or, or else it'll it wear you down, that kind of thing. You ever notice how some people, they look older than they are? I was told the other day that I look like I was 56, <laughs> which is nice because I'm not. I'm 62. <laughs> you know, uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, my sister is a year younger than me, and I think she looks a few years older than me. Uh, hard life, bad choices. Okay, but uh, she, she never experienced a Sabbath rest, not in the, as in a day off where she could cease from her own labors as she's uh, fighting against the enemies of God, that kind of thing. So um, let's ask them to abstain from things that cause trouble for their Jewish believers. You know, uh, one of the things you don't want to be doing is a- inviting some Jewish believers over to your house and having ham. Okay? Just not a good idea. Or bacon. You know, have filet with a bacon stripper. No, don't do that. Okay? That's a problem for them because they're still... God's chosen people, and there's still some things there that they, keeping the Sabbath is probably one, uh, and, and a variety of other things that maybe it's not important to us, but it is to them, so you don't want to cause your brother to stumble, cause difficulties, and so James gives a list of a variety of things there in verses 20 through 21 that Gentile believers, they wouldn't have had a problem with this, but hey, Be careful around your Jewish brethren, that kind of thing. So then uh, from that point, now that we've made the decision, what are we going to do? How's everybody going to know? We're going to send out emails to all the churches. No, we're going to send people. So the conclusion of the council in verse 22, it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who is also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So they sent some of their own guys along with Paul and Barnabas to let churches know, here's what the church has decided. Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. That's been taken care of in the spiritual sense, but we want you to be careful about certain things. And then, of course, uh, letter B, they write a letter from the council, verses 23 through 35. Um, who the letter is from, uh, a greeting, you know, we're, we're writing from uh, Jerusalem here. Uh, they let them know what the problem is. Uh, going back to verse one, uh, whether or not you need to be circumcised and keep the law, uh, we didn't give these guys this commandment. If they're coming around telling you that, that's, that's not coming from us. Okay. Um, and then the conclusion of the council. We have sent chosen men to tell you what they are, what we are writing, verses 25, 27. If God doesn't require it, then we don't require it. Even though we're Jewish and we may participate in these activities, God didn't say you had to, so we're not going to expect you to. Okay? Now, catch something here. There's a lot of discussion in the church, or there has been over the years, as to whether or not believers should. And you can fill in the blank. And if you look at the Bible, there's a lot of things that God said you could Didn't say you had to. But he also gives you, uh, there's lots of reasons why maybe you shouldn't. People get hung up on that, and they, you shouldn't. If God doesn't require it, you shouldn't require it. Now, you may choose for you not to do it. But if God doesn't require it, you shouldn't require it. Again, between you and God, totally okay. This is a Romans 14 type thing. Now, if God requires it, what should we be doing? Thus saith the Lord. Okay? Can I tell you something? There's a lot of things out there that God didn't say anything about. Hmm. We are expected, like mature adults, to make decisions using wisdom, using the Word of God, coming to some good conclusions for ourselves, and if someone else comes to a different conclusion? Okay. Who are you to judge another man's servant? Paul says in the book of Romans. God is able to make them stand, and He will. Hmm, interesting. So if God doesn't require it, we don't require it. And then notice concerns of love for the brethren. Uh, It is interesting to me when I look at all of the difficulties that we've had with people's attitudes towards COVID, vaccinations, and masks. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you come to one conclusion they come to another conclusion... Love your neighbor as yourself. How would you want them to treat you? Treat them that way. If you have to be around them and and they feel as though you need a mask and you don't feel as though you need a mask, maybe you ought to wear a mask. Why? Because you love them. Okay? Now, I won't go that far with the vaccine. I had a nice discussion with a lady that works for Pfizer just uh, Monday uh, at the gym, and we we could agree to disagree. Why? Because we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. Okay? Uh, She is pro. Her husband is anti. I kind of agree with her husband. And I have a variety of reasons. But other people have a variety of reasons, as she did, as to why you should. So you make up that decision, and you and God are the only ones that are responsible for it. Okay? But if we would love our neighbor in dealing with these various things, Democrat, Republican, abortion, Roe versus, all of those things we can't love one another we can disagree and and still love one another don't don't you think now I'm guaranteed some of those things are pretty hot topics and Hopefully believers uh, are understanding what God says about some of those things, uh, but that kind of a thing. So uh, number four, five, six, and seven, the arrival, the arrival of the men in the letter. They finally get back to Antioch. Uh, verse 32, those men that came with them are encouraging the body. Uh, and then, of course, they decide it's time to send back a report to Jerusalem. But in verses 34 and 35, we see that, uh, let me get there. Uh, so there it is, way over there. Uh, verse 34, I'm going to start in verse 33 just because I can't see, 34. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch. Oh, this version's different than the New King James. New King James uh, seemed to indicate that Silas decided to stay. Uh, you know, uh, Sunday morning we had an announcement by... Uh, uh Chris Christie and um, Larissa and Larissa talked about uh one of the reasons why young people might leave the church uh they never went on a a trip. Well, if that's the case, let's buy them all tickets to Hawaii now. Now, she wasn't saying she wasn't saying that though it was someone someone may have uh come to that conclusion. You yeah, will go, we'll go as chaperones, they say. <laughs> no, um you know when, when I was a youth pastor, we would bring people down to Mexico. Why? So they could see how other believers live. So they could minister to these other believers. So they could give their testimony before unbelievers. They would say a few things and someone else would speak in Spanish. Uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, Edgemont has sent some young people down to, uh, to Brazil when I worked there. And they were able to minister to the body of Christ in Brazil by building a cabin okay? Uh, They got to meet some Brazilians. They got to talk to the Brazilians through an interpreter, me or my wife or whatever. It's funny, as an interpreter, you know the language well enough, but an English person will speak to you in English, and then you'll speak to the Brazilian in English, uh, and then have to repeat it in Portuguese. And then they'll speak to you in Portuguese, and you start speaking to the American in Portuguese. Uh, It's uh, confusing at times. But when kids get to minister to the Lord especially out of their comfort zone. When they're doing it here, they're leaders in training in Iwana, kind of like, yeah, this is Edgemont, this is home, no big deal. I can talk in the hallway if I have to. Uh, But when they get out of their comfort zone and they actually get an opportunity to minister to other believers, it makes an an effect on their lives. Uh, One of the things when we brought people down to Mexico was they got to see how some poor people live. They're going through Texas and they're seeing it already where people have cardboard boxes and black plastic bags uh, strung up so that they have cover from the weather. Whoa, all of a sudden, I got it kind of good. Am I blessed of God or what? You know, it changes the way they think. Well, apparently Silas, when he got out of Jerusalem and got to see the handiwork of God among the Gentiles, kind of like, man, I want to be a part of this. And so he stayed. Uh, So just something for you to consider there. Now, um, as Jerusalem is uh, meeting Rome, well, in this particular case, as the, the outreach has gone to the Gentiles, and they tried to push some of this... Jewish-type stuff on them and had to come to some conclusions. You saw the process. Uh, understand, that process is still in effect today. Uh, when, when we meet as elders, one of our jobs is to uh, watch the purity of uh, the truth that's being taught here and stuff like that. And occasionally, we've had to deal with the pre-wrath theory. Had a guy that uh, wanted to discuss that among everybody. It's kind of like, nah, most of our people don't need the confusion. This is what we teach. You're welcome to hold that belief and come here, but we don't want you trying to win disciple people over to your side because it's just going to cause confusion. So that kind of thing still goes on, and also you need to understand that there is a place for people have differing views on things that God didn't say directly. Okay? Any questions or thoughts? Yes. Certain things for example, do you know that most Messianic communities meet on the Sabbath? They don't meet on Sunday. Uh, is that a problem? Do we have to meet on Sunday? No. Now they're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're still Jewish, so they still. And I imagine most of them probably still celebrate most of their feasts you know a pastor brings up a feast that's going on at a certain time of year and people go why is he bringing that up we're not jewish and the last time he this is god's calendar not the jewish calendar <laughs> you know because we need to remember that thing god's the one that came up with some of these things and there's a reason for it okay fathers we come this evening we are so thankful to you for the work that you have done on our behalf, not, not only in the, in the sense of saving us, but opening our eyes, giving us grace and faith to believe um, your spirit put within us, your word given to us, uh, the continual work of sanctification, especially when there are times when we are just plain old hard-headed, hard-hearted. Um, we're so attracted sometimes to the world, and yet you continue to demonstrate your love Uh, by disciplining us, by uh, keeping us walking with you. Uh, Father, we thank you for all of that. Father, we do thank you for what you're doing in this church. We recognize, Lord, that we have grown a long way in the last 25, 30 years that I've been here. We pray that you might continue to grow us spiritually. And, Lord, that you might also uh, allow us to have an outreach among the people that we work with, uh, the people that we know in our neighborhood, Uh, that we might have opportunity to give an answer for the hope that we have in us, and, Lord, that you might use us to bring some to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Again, thank you for your love and your care, your mercies that are new every morning, and your covenant-keeping love. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, Lord willing, see you all again on Sunday. In the meantime, walk with God.